Evidence shows repeatedly that when we try to save ourselves by being great, we fail. We can never be as good as we think we could be. We all fall short, myself included. Like most students who come to MIT, I had straight A's, number one in high school, number two, Georgia Tech, um, 5.0, PhD, course six here at MIT, some of the best friends a person could ask for, dated the cutest guys on the football team, high school. Um, I'm blessed with loving parents. On the faculty at MIT, I made it from the bottom all the way through tenure, promotion as full professor. I have a husband who is also an MIT course six alum. Uh, we met in the computer room on a Friday night, he reminded me. Um, you might want to go to one after this event. Uh, he, he is amazing, um, married to me for 23 years, deserving of great respect and admiration. We have three loving sons, truly the best boys on the planet, I'm not biased. Uh, um, in research, you know, I've received thousands of citations, um, hundreds of keynote invitations, it, gratified to know my work has helped other people. I, I feel, you know, enormously blessed by much of this and it brings me great joy, but you know what? Um, all of this, this worldly success, it pales completely in comparison to the greatest thing in my life. Knowing and being known by the one who made it all, the one from whom every good thing comes, the one who knows what the world truly needs to be saved, the one who knows and loves every single person on our planet, uh, you and me included, whether or not we behave in a lovable way, whether we respond with love in return, or whether we spit in return. None of my achievements, none of the generous gifts I've been given, even begin to compare with experiencing the abundant peace, mercy, grace, joy, healing, strength, and more when we but open our hands to receive these gifts. That gift giver, I believe, is the greatest hope and saving influence. Don't get me wrong, I still fall short, but my life is so much improved, so much more abundant, filled with peace for having taken myself off the throne of thinking what is best that I could know and make those perfect decisions. You can experience this too, uh, but you would also have to be willing to put one in charge of your life who knows how to run it better than you do. To conclude, I want to build great technology to help our world, and I want to give of whatever I have to help people in need, whether they have autism, epilepsy, a lack of ability to speak, or some other challenge that we might invent new technology to help. I delight in this work. But an even greater delight, um, the deepest I have ever experienced, is in knowing and being known by the ultimate source of all knowledge, power, mercy, strength, and goodness. This is the knowledge of the one who loves every person on the planet, the one who truly saves the world. Thank you. The lady that you just heard, some of her testimony in the video is named Dr. Rosalind Picard, and she is a scientist, professor, inventor at MIT. And you hear what she's saying, that I mean, she's brilliant, all these accomplishments, but it didn't really work. It didn't really satisfy apart from God. She was raised an atheist, became a Christian as a young adult, and that's really what Solomon is saying to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so today we're going to talk about the subject of wisdom, talk about the, the foolishness of wisdom. And as we talk about wisdom, it's probably important for us to kind of understand what we're talking about at the beginning. Really what Solomon is getting at here is a philosophy of life. 
the under the sun versus the over the sun, the earthly perspective versus the heavenly perspective that we talked about last week. And he's saying that earthly wisdom, which is trying to figure out, trying to live life apart from God and his truth, doesn't work. We need God's wisdom to live life. Now, he's not saying there's not uh, practical wisdom that's good and that there's not wisdom that's better than uh, just foolishness. I mean, some people have wisdom to make money. Some people have wisdom to fix things. You may have wisdom to do a certain career, and, and that's good. He's talking higher than that. He's talking a philosophy of life. The, the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, just to kind of understand where we're coming from biblically when we talk about wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 2, 6, and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So when he uses the upright, in, in biblical wisdom, there, there's a moral dimension or component to uh, wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20 Contrast earthly wisdom and, 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 and heavenly wisdom. And, and it says, Paul wrote, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Now, to, I think, really understand what Solomon is saying in, in, in these verses, we kind of have to understand him a little bit. We looked at some of his background last week. And if you remember uh, the, the story in the Bible, it's in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, Solomon, who was very humble at this point in his life, as he was taking over for his father David, was like, Lord, this is too much for me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You can read it there. But, Lord, this is too much for me. You've got to, to help me. You've got to uh, enable me to do this. And God, because he prayed for this, gave him great wisdom, but he also blessed him uh, to get riches and, and, and that kind of thing. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And it goes on to talk about some of his accomplishments. Uh, you know, he wrote all these uh, songs and proverbs and scientific accomplishments. He was an amazing man. But if you remember what we looked at last week, in chapter 2, verse 17, he said he came to the place where he hated life. And the, the big idea of the book, what we looked at last week, is that apart from Jesus, life is ultimately unsatisfying because life is meaningless and death is hopeless. And so what we're going to see today is this is true of wisdom as well, that wisdom doesn't satisfy us. It, it, earthly wisdom doesn't give meaning to life. It doesn't give hope in death. So let's read what he says here in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you will go there in your Bible or it's uh, on your church app, it won't be on the screen because obviously you're watching me on a, on a video screen. But um, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18, he writes, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out uh, by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. 
I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I commune with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And and so uh, the, the main idea here is that earthly wisdom is ultimately foolish, but God's wisdom is revealed in Jesus. Earthly wisdom is ultimately foolish, but God's wisdom is revealed in Jesus. Now, what we want to do in walking through this message is look at the two sides of that. We'll talk about earthly wisdom, then we'll talk about how God's wisdom is revealed. Because a lot of what's going on in Ecclesiastes is he's showing us how life doesn't work apart from God. So today we're going to look at how wisdom doesn't work apart from God. But then uh, we're going to see how this leads up to Jesus and how Jesus is the true wisdom of God who can show us how to live life, who enables us to live life according to God's purpose and according to God's design. So these are some of the things he tells us about earthly wisdom in this text. First of all, he tells us that earthly wisdom brings grief. In verse 13, uh, he, he called it this burdensome task as far as searching out wisdom. He says it's something by which the sons of man may be exercised, or it, it means afflicted. He says in verse 18, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I I believe this is true. I mean, I've seen this in my own life. I'm I'm 50 right now, so that would put me at middle age. And I I just see as as I get older, you know, just through experience and, and, and through walking with God and through learning from other people and different things, I think I have more knowledge. I think I have more wisdom. But in, in, in that obviously helps in life. But in, in some ways, it makes life harder if we're, if we're honest about it. I think sometimes when we're younger, I mean, uh, you know, in, in my 20s, and I think a lot of people are this way, we kind of feel like we're uh, bulletproof. And uh, maybe we feel like we've got things figured out. But, you know, life has a way, I think, of kind of beating that out of us. And I think part of what it is is just we see all the problems in the world. We see it more and more. We experience it uh, more and more as we get older. Uh, You know, as a pastor, it seems like over the last year, there's been so many people going through difficult times. And, I mean, we know thousands of people, literally. And so at any given time, uh, we know a pretty decent number of people that have burdens in their lives. And... You know, that can weigh on me. And I I can see, you know, as we get older, we're probably going to experience more and more of that because that's just how life works. And when I was younger, I judged older people who seemed to just kind of get cynical and bitter and that kind of thing. The older I get, the more I understand how that can happen. Now, I want to fight against that. And uh, ultimately, what I'm saying is in Christ, that's not really where we should get because of the hope that we have in him. But, but that's kind of the point that I'm making. If we just have earthly wisdom, just knowledge of the way things are in the world, and the more we get that, the more that we're going to see there's pain and suffering and problems and difficulty. 
And so if that's not balanced out with the hope of Jesus Christ, we earthly wisdom can just end up bringing grief. Life is hard. We need the hope that Jesus offers. You see, in Christ, we're victorious. But if we're real, maybe we're kind of like Sugar Ray Leonard was one time in one of his fights. He, he actually won the fight. I think it was one of his uh, fights with Roberto Duran. He won the fight, but he ended up with 58 stitches. And that's how life can feel sometimes, maybe how life is sometimes. In Christ, we're victorious, but we may win with 58 stitches. So earthly wisdom brings grief. We see here that earthly wisdom has some value, but it's ultimately unsatisfying. Uh, Solomon says here that I set my heart to seek out and search by wisdom uh, concerning all things that are done under heaven, verse 13. But then he says in verse 14, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So uh, he says, I've got all this wisdom. Uh, scripture said he's, he was the wisest man in the world. But it's vain. It's, it, it's empty. It's a veil that we talked about last week. The Hebrew word, just a breath, a vapor. It's gone. It's absurd. It's meaningless. It's futile. It, it, it's pointless. This wisdom has not satisfied me. He needed something more than that. He, he, he needed hope. A psychiatrist by the name of Aaron Cariarity, if I'm saying his last name correctly, has written an article called Dying of Despair. And he, he's analyzing in this the difference between high-risk patients who survive and those who die by suicide. And he said this, over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor. The most dangerous fa factor in a person's sense of hopelessness, uh, I'm sorry, the most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. We cannot live without hope. And if all is vanity, where's the hope? If we came from nothing and we're going to nowhere, where's the hope? If our lives are insignificant, as we talked about last week with Tim, Ke Tim, with Tim Keller, because our origin and our destiny is insignificant, where's the hope? We need something that transcends, something heavenly. Anything of this earth, including wisdom, which can be a good thing in and of itself, cannot be ultimate it cannot be enough. It cannot be satisfying because it doesn't give us the hope that we need. Number three, I think we also see from this verse when Solomon says all is vanity and, and, and grasping for the wind, that earthly wisdom cannot actually explain life, at least spiritual life or eternal life or the ultimate purpose and, and meaning of life. I mean, think about it. I mentioned last week that Solomon has some questions that he wrestles with here, but just think about the big questions of life. Like, how do we know what's true? Well, earthly wisdom tells us there is no such thing as absolute truth. But in the words of Lecrae in one of his songs, he says, quote, somebody told me there was no such thing as truth. I said, if that's the case, then why should I believe you? Does that add up that there can be no such thing as absolute truth, particularly when somebody's stating an absolute when they say that? 
I mean, think about the question of who we are. Like the Tim Keller quote, if our origin is insignificant and our destiny is insignificant, then admit our lives are insignificant. If evolution's true, we're just blobs of tissue, highly evolved animals. We're just physical, material beings. We're from dust to dust. I mean, apparently we can't figure out in, in earthly wisdom now how many genders there are, even though we've seemed to know it throughout all of human history and um, seems pretty obvious scientifically. I mean, think about it. We, we have the technology to invent ultrasound technology where we can see everything that's going on in a womb, but then people say that's not a baby, that could, not a living human being uh, that could actually be aborted. I mean, think about justice. We're crying for justice, but as we saw last week, there can be no ultimate justice apart from God judging and setting everything right in the end. I mean, we deny sin, but then we talked about how everything is messed up in the world. People try to deny sin and say that we're naturally good, and then they talk about the terrible twos who trained the kid to be so terrible. It's kind of natural. People say all religions are, are the same. When if you actually study them, I mean, that's earthly wisdom, but if you actually study them, they're all different. Particularly, Christianity is the exact opposite of every other religion because Christianity is based on grace. Every other religion is based on works. Uh, people are proponents of socialism. You know, that's current in vogue wisdom. But it's never worked. It's led to genocide everywhere it's been. You know, earthly wisdom tells us to pump up kids' self-esteem. But the reality is they're more depressed than they've ever been. Why? Because true wisdom is according to God's truth. So earthly wisdom can never explain life. It's never ultimately going to work. Listen, for all of us, but especially the teenagers, don't buy the lies of the world. Learn God's word. Live according to that. That's what's true. That's what's real. That's what's going to work. Don't ruin your life because you've listened to the lies of this world. Number four, we see here that earthly wisdom cannot actually fix what is wrong with us or the world. Um. He, he wrote here in Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, as he's searched out all this wisdom, as he's pursued all this, he says that what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. And then he talked about how personally, in, in verse 17, that he went from pursuing wisdom to pursuing folly. Why? Because Wisdom in and of itself doesn't ultimately change your life. Principles don't change our lives. We, we can know the right thing and, and fail to do it all day long. I mean, that's a lot of the story of our lives. Maybe here's an extreme example of that. But in 2006, uh, there was a world-famous geneticist by the name of William French Anderson who was convicted on child molestation charges. In a press conference, his attorney said this, Quote, nothing about having a 176 IQ means that you have good judgment. 
There's a difference in knowledge and wisdom, a difference in uh, knowledge and, and, and virtue. We can know the right thing, but do we have the power to do the right thing? Where does that come from? We're going to see as we get to the end of this in a little bit that that comes ultimately from Jesus. Uh, Danny and Jonathan Aiken write, Solomon gives a proverb to explain this situation when he says that what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Um, Crooked is a metaphor for sin or moral brokenness in the wisdom literature. Why is the world in this broken state? The world is perverse because of human sin. Ecclesiastes 7.29 makes this clear. It says, I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Humanity has gone its own way against God's design. So because of others' sin and our own sin, we live in a messed up world and we can do nothing to fix the situation according to the proverb. This is key. It, takes, it will take a miracle from outside of us to fix what is broken. When humanity departed from God's design, God imposed a curse on the world. Therefore, everything is broken in our world and in our lives. We try to find ways out of the brokenness, but only end up more broken and frustrated. We turn to possessions and pleasurable experiences and status and relationships and even to religion to fix what is broken, but it is futile. No amount of pleasurable experiences, job success, or religious ritual can fix what is broken. As we will see, this reality is part of God's goodness in our lives. He imposed the futility and hope that we would long for and hope in Him. You see, the brokenness of the world is one of the biggest reasons that I believe in uh, Christianity instead of earthly wisdom. Some people say uh, the problem of pain and suffering and evil in the world makes Christianity unbelievable. To me, it's one of the strongest reasons to believe it. Why? Because for an atheist or humanist uh, to even talk about evil and suffering, you have to borrow Christian categories. You can't have that and be logically consistent and be an atheistic evolutionist because Those are immaterial concepts of the soul which we don't have if we just evolve. Think about it. In evolution, the strong eat the weak. So that's not immoral. That's just the natural order of things. If evolution is true, uh, humanism, atheism is true. We came from the dust. We're going back to the dust. So there is no eternal hope. And ultimately... Jesus came and suffered with us and for us, and that's ultimately where our hope comes from. Only Christianity has an answer for this crookedness, this brokenness, this lack in uh, the world, and that's what God's wisdom says. And then last, and and, and we're talking about earthly wisdom, and then we'll move on to, to God's wisdom for the last 15 minutes or so. Earthly wisdom can lead to pride. Uh, Solomon said, I communed with my heart and says, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom uh, than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Doesn't that kind of reek with pride? But then he says, set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this was also grasping for the wind. So wisdom didn't work. Uh, he, he tried, and we'll look at this in more detail next week. He, he tried then to, to live the party lifestyle, become a hedonist. That didn't work either. But, you know, we can become prideful of our own wisdom and knowledge 
and stop depending on God. Or we can uh, you know, call out to God and ask for wisdom, ask for help, you know, pray for wisdom. And there's a lot of God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Or through COVID at times, one of the elders' prayers has been, God, keep us from doing something stupid. But then, you know, God will do it and work it out. And sometimes I'll think, well, look at what I did, which is just pride. We're called to repent of our uh, pride. There was a, a Boy Scout, a, a priest, and a scientist who ended up stranded in the airport together. And, and the scientist was like world-renowned in his field. He was considered to be a genius. And, and he worked it out to find a, a small private plane, and he invited them, them to come along with him. And so they get on this plane together, and they're talking and everything, and the scientist is kind of arrogant, and he's telling them how uh, successful he's been and the things he's invented and how smart he is and, and, and all these kind of things. Well, at some point during the flight, the plane starts having trouble, and, and the pilot announces that it's going down and you need to parachute. Well, the pilot, though, takes one of the parachutes, he parachutes first, and as they begin uh, looking at, at, at the parachutes, uh, the priest goes and he finds them and he says uh, that, that there's uh, only two left. Well, the, the genius, the scientist, he runs back there, grabs one, and uh, he's like, man, uh, I'm sorry to do this to you guys, but you know, I, I got us to fight. I'm a really important person. I've got all these scientific things going on. The world needs me. And he jumps. So it's down to the priest and the Boy Scout. Well, the priest, being an honorable man, says, uh, you know, son, I've lived a good long life. Uh, you need to... Um, you know, you just need to go and, I, and, and take one of the parachutes and jump, and, and I'll go down with the plane. And the young man's kind of checking the situation out, being a Boy Scout, trying to figure out if there's any kind of solution here. And he says, oh, uh, that won't be necessary, Father. We, we, can, we can both uh, jump. And he says, what are you talking about? There's only one parachute left. Uh, you take it. You, you go ahead and go. I'll go down with the plane. He says, no, Father, listen to me. We can both put on a parachute and jump. And the priest says, what are you talking about? There's only one parachute left. And the young man says, no, there's two parachutes left. The genius, he grabbed my Boy Scout backpack, and he jumped. Sometimes we're not as smart as we think we are. We need to humble ourselves and admit our lack of wisdom and admit our need for God's wisdom. Well, then that leads to the question of what is God's wisdom? How do we know God's wisdom? Well, number one, we need to see that God's wisdom is not discovered, but it's revealed and then we're going to go to the New Testament and see that it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Solomon said that uh, he communed with his heart and gained more wisdom. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, he says, When I apply my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, uh, though no one sees... Uh, uh, Though even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. In other words, he says, I was searching for it. I was trying to discover it, but it was still lacking. It ended up everything being vain and empty. But here's what we know from Scripture as we go to the New Testament, that the true, genuine wisdom of God 
is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 1.1, the Bible says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God, and the Word became flesh. This is verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if you've been around church much at all, you've probably uh, heard those verses before. And it's, it's clearly talking about Jesus when it talks about the Word becoming flesh, the incarnation. But it's important that we really understand the background of this word, word. So John was writing in Greek, and he used a Greek word, logos. And it was a, a very important, a very weighty word uh, culturally and philosophically. And so to paraphrase Tim Keller, he says something along the lines that ancient Greek philosophers talked about the logos as a spiritual cosmic order or structure behind the material universe. So if you could discern what the logos was, you could understand the reason or the meaning of life and the universe and then live like we should. So they believed that there was an objective meaning that must be discovered and you must align your life with it in order for life to work right. So think about it this way. Uh, Take a space heater that you may have in your house. We usually have central heat and air, but sometimes people use space heaters, use a supplement or whatever, and it can heat a room. But but let's say you're taking a bath, and the water's kind of cold, and you think, okay, I'm going to warm it up. I'm going to throw this space heater in here, and that'll warm it up. Is that going to warm it up? No, it's going to kill you. Why? Because that's not what the space heater is designed for. So what they were saying is there's a design for life. There's a design for the universe. This logos, you got to discover that. But what John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is coming along and saying is this logos is actually not a wisdom principle. It's actually a person It's the person of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know the meaning of life and and to be able to line your life up with that and live the right way, you have to trust and know Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul said that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And and so he says then in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So, Jesus is the one who changes our lives. It's not wisdom principles. The actual wisdom and knowledge of God is God himself. And so Erasmus said, All studies, philosophy, rhetoric are followed for this one object, that we may know Christ and honor him. This is the end of all learning and eloquence. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. When you see Jesus right, then you see the rest of life right. Number two, not only is the wisdom of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, but we see that Jesus is the only one who can actually set things straight. 
Remember what Ecclesiastes 1.15 said? What is crooked cannot be made straight. Can't be done, humanly speaking. Even through wisdom. Because principles don't change our lives. Remember uh, Solomon, the wisest man in, in, in the world, said this is vain, and he proceeded from wisdom to folly. That didn't work either. So how can it be set straight? Well, Luke 3, 4 through 6 uh, which is a quotation from Isaiah, says, uh, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, the, one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hills brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Jesus is uh, coming to set the crooked straight, coming to bring the salvation of God. You see, Wisdom is important, but wisdom is not enough. Ultimately, what we need is we need a heart change. We need a new heart, a new love, a new desire for God, and only Jesus can bring that. The Puritan writers talked about the propulsive power of a new affection. And what they were saying is when we fall in love with Jesus, we fall in love with the things that he loves, and then that is what changes our lives, not just head knowledge. It's got to move from the head to the heart. So think about it uh, this way. So our son Jay, some of you know him, some of you don't. He's almost 26, lives in uh, Nashville. He's fallen in love, and so he's going to be getting engaged uh, soon and married not too long uh, a- after that. And, and so... Uh, his girlfriend's name is Taylor. We love her too and are thankful for her. But uh, Taylor has a little dog named Floki. Now, um, Jay likes dogs, but he's not really a dog person. And he grew up in a family where, uh, you know, we like dogs. Uh, we kind of had a dog in my mom's house, you know, that kind of thing. I had a dog when I was little until he got run over and, you know, broke my heart. But we'd always said, you know, no animals in the house. And there were actually some medical reasons with our kids where that couldn't be the case when they were younger. And so Jay has always said, no, no dogs in the house. Well, Jay and Taylor came to visit uh, over the weekend. And uh, her dog, Floki, actually slept in the bed with Jay in his room on Saturday night. So what's happened to the one who said no dogs in the house and now he has a dog in his bed? Well, what happened is he fell in love with Taylor. Taylor loves Floki. And when you love someone, you love what they love. There's a change that happens on the inside of us. And that's what happens when we fall in love with Jesus. He changes us on the inside. And so then our lives can change outwardly and can do in us and through us what human earthly wisdom can never do. Now, one final statement. And this is kind of where I hope it all resolves for us. And that is that God's wisdom is demonstrated by the foolishness of the cross. By the foolishness of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's go there and and, and we'll end there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Paul writes, It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, 
think about this. If you are a Christian, you are saying that the cross is the power of God to save your soul. That through the uh, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that your sins have been forgiven, you've been made right with God, you've been transformed into a new person, that you've been given eternal life. But to the world, that sounds foolish. And it should. I mean, think about it. What a crazy message that God would come into the world, that God would die on a cross, that through uh, the, the, the cross, through a criminal's death, that's how we're made right with God. That doesn't fit with the, the wisdom of the world. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks uh, foolishness. So, in other words, the, the religious wisdom of the Jews, the religious wisdom of today is, that if we work hard enough, if we're good enough, if we do enough, then God will accept us. And that appeals to our flesh, and that sounds good, and that makes sense. But God says, no, that's actually foolishness. And through what seems to be foolishness of, to the world, which is the preaching of the cross, that's how you're actually made right with me. Or, you know, the Greeks uh, were into wisdom and, and, and philosophy and learning and education. And just like people today, they think that through that, you know, they can fix the world and we can make this world a utopia, build a kingdom without uh, the king, and we can set things right and we don't need God. And religion is in the way of human progress and, and, and flourishing, and, and we can create uh, justice and all these kind of things. And God says, no, it's through the, the food of the cross. He goes on in verse 26 and he says, for you, see, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And glory here is talking about uh, boasting. It's saying we need to have to stop boasting in ourselves, in our earthly accomplishment, in our religious accomplishments, in, in our wisdom, and understand that we are sinners. We are separated from God. We have nothing to offer him. We're guilty. We're deserving of judgment and, and, and hell. But that the truth is that uh, Jesus came and he is the son of God and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if we humble ourselves and admit our sin and admit our need for him and repent and, and, and surrender to him in faith, 
that we're saved. And the reason for this is through the cross, he's worshiped and honored. He gets all the credit. A Christian is someone who is boasting in Jesus and what he has done for us alone. And, and that is where our life is. That is where our hope is. That is who our wisdom is. This is the wisdom of God that uh, meaning and purpose and eternal hope, life, everything, including wisdom, is found in Jesus Christ. And so we need to turn from our self-reliance, our, our self-effort, our own uh, religion, and turn to Jesus, put all of our spiritual weight on him, trust in him, receive him, rely on him, walk with him, live for him. Is that you? Are you trusting Jesus?